This is episode number 93 of the Beard of Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We're bringing you this live after two weeks of the holidays. It's time to get back in the office. We're very sorry to announce that this is not being released at our normal time for the first time. In the history of Beard Marketers. a year and a half that we've Mm -hmm. been doing this. We've been releasing on time every time. Not this time, though. It was a rough New Year's Eve (laughs) week. We won't go into the the details. All right, what are you drinking to get into the mood? I'm going back to some Colonel E.H. Taylor with an ice cube on your recommendation. How about yourself? Do you have to ask anymore? It's a Moscow Mule (laughs) every time. All right, so give us the rundown. What are we going to be talking about? Is this going to be another short one? We'll see. You know, sometimes we get deep in the weeds... Once I get deep into this drink, we might get (laughs) deep in the weeds. All right. right, So first, we're going to start off with TripAdvisor find over $600,000 over comments. Maybe something you need to be considering yourself. SEO tips to consider as we move into 2015. How do we get the edge on our competitors on the SEO front? We want to take a little bit of time. You know, personalization, that's a big buzzword these days, especially on the online marketing front. What are some numbers behind that? Who's using it? What successes are they seeing? Some interesting stats there. And it would not be an episode if we didn't check in with our favorite search engine that also scares us, Google, and see what's brewing in Mountain View. But first things first, what's going on with TripAdvisor? What do we need to be scared of? They got fined some absurd amount of money. Everything to be afraid of. Two things, Canada and the European Union. If you do business there, damn. The laws. Now, should I be fines, scared of Canada because of Tom Ford? <laughs> because is of, name? what is it called? Castle? Rob Ford? Rob Ford. Rob okay, Ford. There's lots of coke and we'll go crazy <laughs> on you. Because of Castle? What is, like, Castle Law? Don't send emails to people in Canada is mm-hmm. what it is sort of amounted to. Just but, send it by Pony Express though, right? The mountain guy? <laughs> Are they the Pony Express? I don't think that's <laughs> Royal Canadian Mounted something. <laughs> there you go. All right. TripAdvisor, the title of this article, and this is from the New York Times, TripAdvisor is fined $610,000 in Italy for failing to prevent fake reviews is what they're saying here. It's an odd phrasing, but... It's also a weird number just, you know, the conversion rate, obviously. But really the the crux of this is that a bunch of Italian sort of competition authorities, I don't know, like travel consortiums got together and decided to go after TripAdvisor for what they are claiming are fake reviews in that they don't believe that these people actually went to their hotels that they're leaving negative reviews on or whatever else it is on TripAdvisor. In their mind, It's TripAdvisor's responsibility to make sure that these people are legitimate. And in so doing, I'm going to fine you half a million euros because we don't think you're doing a good job at that. It seems like very dangerous territory to get into in my mind. I'm sure they wouldn't complain if it was a positive one for their hotel. Right. (laughs) Well, exactly. (laughs) I feel like I've heard uh, recent stories similar to this coming out of other countries like France, I think has had a couple of crazy ones. Britain. Mm -hmm. I remember a story. Actually, it's actually in here. Number of hotels in Britain threatened to find guests who wrote bad reviews on sites like TripAdvisor and Yelp. I guess it was sort of built into the you're staying at our hotel, also buried in the clauses, you leave a negative review, we're charging your credit card because you're not allowed to do that. How insane is this? I don't know. It's on the one hand, I have to agree with these hotels in that it must feel pretty shitty to (laughs) To have a bunch of people. (laughs) Well, to maybe piss off the wrong person or something and they go nuts, create fake accounts or tell their friends who've never actually been in your hotel to leave negative reviews. I mean, I can see that happening. I mean, you know, we covered that $180,000 TV or something. If you go to Amazon and just type in TV, that shows up in the top list because there's thousands of fake five-star reviews that are just trying to be funny, right? (laughs) Right. Troll. So that's the opposite end of that spectrum. So what happens when you're the target of all of these negative sort of fake reviews? 
I guess the question is, are these sites doing a good enough job to filter those things out? But at the same time, they don't want to tell us because it's kind of like Google. They don't want to give away the secret sauce. What exactly are they doing to stop these negative reviews? It's just interesting that that line of reasoning, to your point, I mean, it can go either way in the positive or negative spectrum. And I can certainly feel for the business owners. But what I've seen a lot of people fail to do is use that for a showcase of customer service. So there have been some pretty well-publicized PR events where people have tweeted out or, you know, lambasted people on these different review sites or on Twitter or whatever. And reps from these companies go in and will try to rectify the situation. And then it provides a good example directly on that site where some of that negative press might live. These companies actually do take an effort, might be able to explain themselves or show in a detailed fashion how they tried to go to the extent to pleasing the customer. So I don't know if there's a real easy solution. I think that's part of the solution. The problem here is these hotels are probably looking for the same type of scenario that we've seen happen happen on, what was it, Yelp? got in Mm -hmm. trouble for that? Like you could basically pay to get rid of reviews. I mean, I think basically all of those large review websites end up going down that road of, well, give us money, we'll help you manage your reputation, reputation, Mm -hmm. right? Basically meaning we'll get rid of the negative ones, which I'm guessing is what these hotels want, an easier way to do that. But I don't, essentially what that ends up meaning is that review sites become worthless to the public. I think the only real solution here is an open one that doesn't have moderation. I mean, you, you have to build in things like algorithms like Google, and I'm sure Amazon and some of these have, who recognize people from the same IP or cookie or whatever doing multiple fake reviews prevent some of that stuff, very basic stuff. But I think you have to leave it open. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it's worthless. How do you feel about a system that potentially verifies the purchase and doesn't necessarily mean that you can't leave a review, but there is a special notation that you verify. Similar to Amazon, you see that mark where it's an Amazon verified purchase. What if Um, that's like a good... I mean, it's still necessitating a lot of work on the end user. Right, And and I think... What that's going to mean has to happen is there has to be some centralized database, some way that all of these sites can tap in via API on these sorts of things. I don't know how feasible that is. I mean, it's great on Amazon because they're so huge and so many people buy on there. So it sort of makes sense. It's going to create a burden one way or another. Right. And that site's going to have to manually review that proof to see if it actually is and potentially call a hotel to verify or whatever. You know, I don't know if there is maybe some sort of intermediate solution there. And, and maybe it's just not quite as easy to do for, let's say, a hotel company as it is, obviously, for Amazon because mm-hmm. you bought it from them. They know that. I don't know, but it seems to me that the easiest way is let's just keep it open and you still, people will fall victim to that sort of negative thing will happen sometimes. And maybe you don't necessarily deserve it. But I guess maybe that's the cost of doing business on the internet. World You're sort of biting in. the hand that feeds. I mean, a yeah. lot of times people are discovering you through places like yeah. TripAdvisor because for many businesses, they have terrible SEO. They're not going to rank well. So these review sites actually help them gain the visibility that that would have been lost otherwise, because potentially they do perform a great job at customer service, things of that nature, whereas maybe their website skills aren't really up to par. So these places like TripAdvisor or whatnot allow them to have exposure to customers that they wouldn't. But now when it comes down that the reviews aren't necessarily favorable, we want to jump down those. It's a prickly situation, which we'll 
see how it works well, out. Well, I think there's one final thing I wanted to add there, and I think that there are other methods. So not so obviously filtering out bad reviews as they come in, if we can sort of surmise in some reasonable way that we think they're probably not legitimate. But I think there's also community-based ways to filter out crap, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see it on Amazon with most helpful type things. Sure. And I think if you really do have a good business and you get a negative review, I think the community of other people who have actually stayed at your hotel can sort of filter that stuff for you, right? Sure. You have that mass appeal and people going, well, that's not useful or why well, I didn't experience that either. You have the ability to number one, sort of downvote or say that's not helpful or leave comments. Just I feel like more comments is the way to go, mm-hmm. not fewer, sure. right? And we need more interaction from people who have stayed with you, not silencing the crazies who you're always going to get, right? All right. That's enough. That was a, a long tangent sort of. <laughs> Tell us about some well, SEO. Well, I mean, it's, it's material for businesses that need to keep in mind, you know, how dynamic the internet really is, especially yeah. when you cross borders of countries and how you need to really be paying attention to what's happening there on the litigation front. Or just do like me and block all European IP addresses and get Canadian out. ones. <laughs> you're not allowed to use my websites. <laughs> all right. SEO is a pretty popular topic here. We get a lot of requests about it. So I wanted to give you a couple tactical things to put on your checklist as you move into 2015 that you need to concentrate. Maybe you have a little bit of flexibility in your time before things really start to kick off on this new year. So here are some things. Five quick tips is from Search Engine Land, which we'll tweet out the link if you want to give it a once over, which I would recommend because I get some good screenshots and links to other tools you can use. But one, give your site a technical once over. Quite a few tools out there that will scrape your site or crawl it, look for issues, see if you have everything tagged up correctly. Do you got title tags? All the things buttoned up that you need to. Rob's talked a lot about different markup languages that you can have, like OpenGraft and Twitter and all these different types of plugins that you can have to make your web experience across the entire internet so on point. Video markup, there's tons of them out there. Recipe ones, I think there's even, ratings. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons out there. So give your site a technical once over. See where you stand. There's a lot of tools out there. One that they make mention of here is Screaming Frog. Moz has some great tools out there. Friends of the Show has some great content on there. There's also some things that we would point out when you're doing a technical once over. Also check your analytics. Is that even registering correctly? There are some tools out there for that as well. Or maybe it makes sense to actually contract with someone to really crawl your site. Not only see if things are firing correctly, but are you set up for success in this new year? Are you tracking all the events that you need to? Do you really have a good handle on not just people that are coming to your site, but what are they actually doing so we can materially make our website better? Number two would be just prioritizing what you found in number one. Once you give your site a once over, what are some of your high value changes that you need to make? You analyze your website, you found that you're missing title tags and some headings and things like that all across the site. What are the big pages that need work? Let's prioritize our work. We got limited amount of time. What do we need to focus on to get the most bang for our buck? Identify the quick wins and prioritize them accordingly. Again, you're in the time now where you're budgeting IT resources, what they need to work on for this year. So this is really critical to get done because again, SEO is a weird aspect in the industry in that if you don't hit your windows in time, often you can be months out of the game before you see the benefit of your efforts. So really the best time to do SEO is right now. Because if you miss the algorithm update or Google changes their stance on things, it can be months before 
you're allowed the opportunity where they, you know, essentially reassess you on a large level. So again, the best time is the present for SEO. So make sure you identify the issues, prioritize accordingly. Also, and this one is in the article, but I'm going to give this kind of a, a shaky thumb and that you need to work out what are some opportunities for you to do some cross editorial work or potential blogging opportunities that you'd have with other websites and communities out there. The reason why I give that a shaky thumb is over the last couple algorithm updates with Google, this sort of shared editorial guest blogging aspect has really diminished in the way that how much they value that. It really got abused and it's something of more of legacy SEO that has gone out to pasture. So I think it's great to open you up to a potential new audience and gain some visitors that way just to give you some brand exposure. But don't necessarily think that guest blogging or writing on other websites is going to give you this huge boost of SEO because the days of that are somewhat sailed. So this is a big one. And this has become even more important with the latest Pigeon update, which is cleaning up your business listings. And there's a couple reasons why. One, Pigeon is starting to evaluate these business listings even more. There was a time where Google started valuing and prioritizing some of these directory style sites like Yelp, as we mentioned before, Manta, things like that, much lower in the rankings. It seems as the latest Pigeon update has shaken out that those are starting to come back and become stronger in the results pages. A couple other things. One, Google is showing more and more local results in their search engine pages. So people are being greeted with these results more so sometimes than just your website. So it's important to make sure that from a competitive standpoint that you have the best foot forward because these things are being shown sometimes very high in the results as per what Google's doing to move around its algorithm. But also, and it's a tie into that, more and more businesses are taking these seriously. There was for a long time, you know, Google Places or Yelp or whatever was seen as this thing where when you opened up your business, you set it up and then that was the last time you touched it. For a lot of niches, that is no longer the case. It's something that is a dynamic marketplace. It's always being updated. And you have to consider from yourself, if you're someone looking for your services or business, how do you stack up with your competition? You know, they might have great pictures, a wealth of reviews on their sites, something that make people very confident in choosing them as a vendor. Are you in that same place? And that's going to be the last item that we talk about that you need to focus on for SEO in this new year is what are your competitors doing? Run some tools like Moz or Majestic SEO or whatever it might be. Keep track of what your competitors are doing. How are they ranking for the top keywords that you want to rank for that are sending you traffic, the ones that you have insight into? But just be aware of what they're doing. Are they performing some of the new markup and taking advantage of that? Uh, What are some of the tactics that you can potentially repurpose for your own or feel confident in yourself that you're starting to outpace your competitors by a great clip? So let's keep the pressure, put the pedal to the metal so we could just (laughs) take them all over. That's going to wrap it up. I I like the first one you went over. The give the site a technical once over. Everyone who's been in internet marketing or development or technical engineering of any kind for the last few years knows that every time you go to fix something, you break three other things. (laughs) No. And with, you know, all of these things we were talking about, you know, you mentioned Open Graph and all those other things. There's so many little technical things to be aware of with SEO. And I think it really helps to, number one, keep an eye on your webmaster tools to tell you when things are broken, 404s and all that sort of stuff. But also, you know, use some of these tools and just give it a once over. Make sure your Open Graph tags are still correct. Mm -hmm. Um, Or keep an eye on those things because those things also change. But make sure when you're doing page updates, 
updates and, and pushing out new updates that you're not breaking some of the hacks you've put into place to make your SEO look good. True that. That's my little once add on that. What else are we talking about? I want to move into personalization. I know this is a favorite of yours. I hate this. The skeptic cat. <laughs> and I think this might actually reinforce some of your beliefs on this. So spurred on by this e-consultancy article. And just to clarify, they do specialize in UK online marketing. So sometimes their numbers might represent a situation that's a little bit different in other countries, particularly the US. But I will say of e-consultancy, they perform as much as they can, decent sample sizes for their surveys, as opposed to some of the other online marketing research firms here in the US. So I tend to trust their results quite a bit, depending on what surveys they're running. But in this one, they teamed up with Red Eye, which is a large firm, and they wanted to survey some of the larger businesses out there. One, how much personalization do you do? But two, and this is the important part, out of that personalization, what sort of returns do you see? Oh, uh, yeah. And what I really liked about this is a breakdown. So the first thing that they talk about is, do you or your clients undertake any form of personalization on your or their marketing activity? And what we saw here is pretty even split. They broke it up into company respondents and agency respondents, but it's about a 60-40 split. So 60% of people are using personalization, 40% are not. Now on the onset, a lot of people might freak out and say, oh, we don't personalize our website. Like we're way, 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 way behind the ball. If it's 60-40 split, maybe a lot of these people are lying. Well, fear not, because I think that you actually might be doing some personalization that they might categorize. So you can go ahead and wipe the sweat from your brow. So from that breakdown, what channels do you personalize? Overwhelmingly, it's 88 to 84% of email. And I think a lot of people, when they sit back and think about it, we actually might personalize our emails. Maybe we throw in a first name, do some slight tweaks based on what kind of user you are. So I think a lot of people can rest a little bit easier. Okay, we do maybe fall into this group. But what's interesting is a steep, steep decline once you get into the other areas of the website. So when you're talking about on-website personalization, we're now bordering only 40 to 50% conduct personalization. Offline, 23 to 17%. Social media, 20, 25%. SEM, 20%. And it just falls off from there. So a lot of people personalize emails. Once you start talking about the more difficult aspects of personalization, it starts to decline at a very steady rate. So that's people doing the personalization. Now, the important part. The impact of that personalization, these are the interesting parts. So the question was, have you experienced an uplift in conversion rates through any of these channels since implementing personalization? And they categorized it into three different responses, major uplift, minor uplift, no uplift. I'm gonna just gonna focus on the big one. Email saw 23% of people reporting major uplift and 67% vast majority reporting only minor uplift. Website, which was the second biggest, 21% reporting major uplift, which is less than email, and 72% saying minor uplift, and 7% saying no uplift at all. And the reason why I wanted to focus on these, and again, we're going to tweet out the links so you can look at these graphs. It's a lot of data to walk through. But what I wanted to talk through for a lot of people is I know that personalization is a big, shiny thing, and I do think it has its place online. Email is a great example. 
people that even on the website in some circumstances can be a great place on personalization. But just realize that if you're going into the personalization space, expecting that you're going to double your revenue based on some personalization, you might want to reset some expectations, not only from the uplift that you're going to see on conversion, but what's really lost out of all of this, which I wish they would have worked into the survey is how much time did you spend setting up personalization, but also curating it? So Mm -hmm. personalization, it seems from what people are reporting, it's providing some benefit, not huge major uplifts. But on top of that, what's lost here is, well, how much time does it take? We do live in a world where there are very smart computers out there that have algorithms that can do a lot of self-learning, but you still have to build these experiences. You have to maintain the creatives. You have to make sure they're all working correctly. And so there is a big time investment, at least up front, to getting this stuff off the ground. So if you're heading into 2015 and you're going down the personalization route, just realize that it is not necessarily the shining horse that a lot of people make it out to be. It's very in vogue right now, but just set your expectations appropriately. I don't want you to get in trouble with your boss promising that you're both going to have your own Cayman Island at the end of this. My biggest concern with this term personalization is what exactly people mean when they say it. Sure. And that's actually why I like this one, because it actually broke down into website email. That's like much deeper than most other people. I I, I think it goes even way deeper than that. I mean, for example, you could say things like, okay, email personalization. What does that mean? Actually, they have a quote here from some guy at uh, Monetary who says, I'd venture a guess that respondents' definition of email personalization is fairly basic, basically meaning like using merge fields and things like that. In my mind, that's not personalization. But obvious, I mean, not obviously, but I think a lot of people do think that's personalization. So I think that that skews the stats one way. But then I think the other people who maybe think more like me who think that personalization is about like automation workflows and things like that, who aren't doing those things or skewing the stats the other way. So what the hell does that mean Mm -hmm. with the survey? And then look at other things like website personalization. So could you theoretically categorize recommended products based on this product Mm -hmm. as personalization? Probably. And maybe a lot of people do. I wouldn't necessarily look at it that way. Search engine marketing personalization. I mean, one could make the argument that all search engine marketing is personalization because the ads are based on the keywords you just searched for, right? right? I mean, you could go that basic, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to retargeting. I mean, I would venture a guess that most people maybe now are doing retargeting. So does that count as personalization? What are we actually talking about when we talk about personalization? Someone needs to go out there and define it. Maybe it's been defined. I haven't seen a good definition. We'll take a crack at it next episode. All right, moving on. So wrapping things up, Google Corner... I want to catch up with some things in Mountain View. The first thing I wanted to mention, uh, because this might affect some businesses, I don't know how many, but China is actually now blocking a majority of Google services. And the reason I point that out is because it's a material portion of traffic that Google actually receives. And it's a very interesting article on Search Engine Land because they have some data that Google makes available of requests that they receive on a daily basis. And you can see a very clear denotation when China starts enforcing their blocking policy, how much that in influence global traffic. So if you've been seeing some different traffic numbers, potentially you do some Asia commerce or have some user base over there. It was right around after the Christmas holiday where they started enforcing this. It has made a material impact. So if that affects you, keep that in mind. Again, we're going to tweet out the link. It's very interesting just to see how much stuff comes from China to Google. Fascinating, actually. The last thing that I wanted to talk about, and this has nothing to do with Google, but it is a feather in their hat. Both Bing and Yahoo suffered severe outages over the last couple Bam. of weeks. In fact, I think Yahoo was down for something like four to five hours. Who powers who now, though? 
Bing powers, Bing powers Yahoo. Yahoo. Yeah. I'm sure they still have their own infrastructure sets, Who but still them? embarrassing. Well, mm. not only that, there was so Bing outage also affected Windows Phone users because that gets powered by that Boom. in your face. But also Siri apparently suffered an outage what? for a little bit, but was quickly it. restored. So all that to say, did you hear Google's name in that? No. No. Rock steady. As we get into this world where outages start to mean pretty big press, businesses that look to integrate with services, Microsoft has their cloud products, Google has their enterprise offerings, things like that. Just keep in mind reliability as we move into this new year. You don't want to be out. When was the last time Google went down? Do you remember? I don't actually. Well, I take that back. Gmail, Gmail. did go down <laughs> for a couple hours. Got premium Gmail. That shit still goes down. It goes down pretty regularly, honestly. Really? For like a couple minutes or something? Uh, yeah. It screws itself. I don't know what its deal is. Hmm. Well, I don't know why they can do search so well, but then yeah. Gmail. Well, I will say because they do spam so well, I'll yeah. give them some outages because I don't I don't ever have garbage in my inbox. So. They, exactly. Which they do it so well, a lot of my emails <laughs> send out for companies. So, so that's going to do it anyway. for us this week. Thank you so much for your time. Apologize about the tardiness. We'll make it up next episode coming up on episode 100. So exciting. If you enjoyed yourself, we ask a couple of things. One that you would share with a friend, a colleague, or as Rob would like to say, a lover, perhaps. Leave us a review on whatever channel you found us on. It helps us not only grow the show, but let us know what we might need to change to make it even better. We always love hearing from our listeners. If you have an idea for the show, you can contact us a number of ways. One, directly on our website, thebeardmarkers.com slash contact. You can leave us a line there. You can reach us on Twitter, which we will also tweet out all the links from the show. Or you can call us at our dedicated crises hotline, 904-270-9603. Rob waits by the phone day and night waiting to hear your problems, or you can text him. But if you have an idea for the show or a problem, we've worked in this industry for quite a long time. So if we can't help you, we can certainly put you in contact with someone that can. Thanks again so much for your time. Hope you had a great new year, and we'll see you next week. Cheers.